Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book that shares the same name of this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times, and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. I hope you've been able to catch our recent episodes, including Michelle Vig of Neat Little Nest and author of The Holistic Guide to Decluttering, or last week's episode with Dr. Althea Bates, who shared how she got through her traumatic childhood and beyond with vision and resilience. If you've liked these episodes or others, please tell your friends and do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get ranked higher and thus get noticed. And now for this episode, I am so excited to introduce you to a dynamo in the world of digital media. He's a two-time Emmy winner, two-time New York Times bestselling author, as well as being smart, witty, kind-hearted, good-looking, and definitely a superstar in my heart. Yes, this week's guest is my husband. He's my rock, my cheerleader, my partner in parenting, and everything in life, especially cancer. So many people think about the patient after a cancer diagnosis, not so much about the caregiver. So Kevin and I wanted to be sure that we share our story, especially the caregiver's point of view. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. everyone. I am so excited for today's guest. And I got to be honest, I'm a little nervous too. See, he is a two-time New York Times bestselling author. He's also the winner of two Emmy Awards. And he is known in the industry as someone to watch. Several times I think you've gotten that award and the accolades in digital media. But that's just the professional side. He is always the one in the office that people go to for professional advice. And I know that because we used to work together. See, I met Kevin in 2001 at a job in Stanford and his boss was dating my friend. And so we could make this a whole podcast episode in itself, but let's just say that Joya and Jimmy got us together to go out sort of on a date, all hang out together. And the rest is history. And here we are married 16 years later, I am really excited that I've got my husband, Kevin Sullivan, here to talk about our journey and his specifically as a caregiver to someone myself with cancer. Hi, Kevin. I didn't know we were going to talk about Joya and Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) I would have prepared better. (laughs) Wow. Let's say we've done um, better than them. I I love Joya and Jimmy, but they are no longer together. No, but they did both show up at our wedding, and that was a tribute to us, I'd like to think, because they were not together. Well, you have to tell people that our wedding was eight states away. 
Well, and that means a lot. Yeah, exactly. That they that they flew all the way to St. Paul, Minnesota. Right. From Connecticut. From Connecticut or New York City for a wedding. I so, also like being in your studio as opposed to my podcast studio. Uh, I know when I was asking, so for all you out there, if you haven't got that by now, this is my husband, Kevin Sullivan, and I actually worked with our son to write that intro. And he said to me, mom, you got to say, you got to talk about the curtain call podcast. You got to talk about <laughs> flip and Kevin hosting the car, the curtain call podcast. I'm like, all right, babe, I'll get there. I'll get there. But we, it's funny. I never know where to begin with our story, not our story, but the cancer story, I guess. And so, well, this is meant to be your reactions, your tips and advice to others. I think it might make sense for us to talk a little bit about how it all began for us with my cancer diagnosis. Because if you're new to me and you're just stumbling upon the Happiness Through Hardship podcast, you may or may not know a little bit about my story, which is I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor now living and thriving with stage four disease. But actually, I was first diagnosed at 31 and it was three months after our wedding. And do you remember, Kevin, like, I can't even remember what life was like almost before cancer. We just were so young. But do you remember that day when we first even thought about it? Well, I mean, I don't know. There's two different or several different days, like when we first thought about it or when we first found out, because you thought about it for a good week before I even did, because I just, you know, you went to the doctor's appointments and then you were worried for a week and me being me I don't I worry about things when I have to worry about things so yeah. I didn't even think twice um so I don't really remember that I guess let's call it a week ahead of that um but I remember the day obviously I was in the kitchen when you called me it was early morning I was going to work and you were like um I have cancer <laughs> and I was like oh, okay uh I'll be right there yeah <laughs> You know, I, I honestly didn't, I was so young and stupid that I didn't put a ton of thought into it, uh-huh. you know, because we were young and stupid. Yeah. Now I'm just old and stupid. But um, <laughs> Stop. Yeah, I remember like, okay, no problem. So we'll go, you know, like it's like the flu. Okay. So, so then we'll, we'll get over it and then we'll move on. What's interesting about it though, in some ways is, while there was so much heat and intensity going through it, because you have to think about things we at the time weren't thinking about, like, oh, if I do chemo, maybe I can't get pregnant. So what does this mean for us having kids? We had a lot of intense conversations. In some ways, that was what you just said. What we did is we just figured out what we needed to do in those moments and then just did them and put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I think... For sure, that's one of the things we did right, meaning like diagnosis came and we embraced it. Like we hugged it, right? (laughs) Like we didn't retreat into this cocoon and be like, oh, woe is me. Um, Never. And that's a credit to you because you were, I know you always talk about like your quarterbacks, like you were the ultimate quarterback of it, whereas like I was just you know, this is going to be bad for your podcast listeners. Sometimes I was just following your lead. You know, I know I'm supposed to be offering advice, but I was following your lead. And when you're so strong and you're like, all right, well, we're just going to beat this thing. 
I don't think that's bad advice though. I think that you have to know your audience and you know that I'm incredibly type A and that I am incredibly, I want to be resourceful with all the decisions I make. And so for those who are listening, if they are the caregiver, I think that's good advice is, you know, know who it is that you're caregiving. And you, I mean, you knew me best and you, you know, my husband lived with me. So if it, if you were trying to get me to set the tone differently than I am, that might have not worked for us. Right. So, I mean, we were both very much in it together, but yeah, if you don't follow your lead, right, you're the one with the cancer, right? So yeah. like you have to be the quarterback. Um, and you're, not to make you blush, a natural born leader anyway, right? <laughs> so like, <laughs> I will follow um, you. Well, I love you. Uh, I will say though, there are a lot of people that don't know what to do. And I don't know, I can only speak from our experience. However, the doctors, the nurse practitioners, I do remember day two and being in Nurse Michelle's office. And that to me was one of the best days and the worst days, at least in the initial diagnosis, because I sat there bawling my eyes out. I think that's when it finally hit me. Like, oh my goodness, it's 24 hours after this is sinking in. Like, I really have cancer. Like, am I going to lose my hair? Am I going to lose my boobs? Like, what does this mean? And I looked at her and I literally was bawling saying, well, but I'm a newlywed. This is supposed to be our fun time. And I, I will also say I then felt guilty for you because you, I know you said in sickness and in health three months earlier, but this was not what I thought you were signing up for. So I felt this tremendous amount of guilt, like, oh my gosh, Kev, like, is this what, is this the me that you want to be with? And I don't know, what would you say to people to, you never really seemed. Well, that's you being you. <laughs> so, I mean, anyone who is going to marry a woman Right, like, why wouldn't you support that? Right, like, that's just crazy. And you being you, I hate to bring it up in the podcast, but like, <laughs> stop getting in your head. Like, what? Well, <gasps> duh. Of course, I'm gonna. <laughs> I didn't even think twice. And how many years later, why would you think twice? Well, and I think my advice to people would be because I know that I get in my head. I do talk to you, talk to him about it a lot. Like I would say, I'm so sorry. I can't believe, like, I remember saying that to you. I'm so sorry. Right. Like why? Because did you go out and intentionally do something? No, I know. That's just, I know, but but, uh, there are people that feel like, you know, I'm a woman. I want to be beautiful for me, but for you. And here I am going to lose my hair and, you know, Hey, they chop my boobs off too. Like there's a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) that's one way of putting it. Yeah. Um, we want to feel feminine and there's a lot of reasons where cancer may make you feel else elsewhere. However, I will say I, I, I didn't, I, I did feel at times, you know, despite the drains coming out of me, there oh, were, that was fun. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, 
and I will say that you, and the drains are the beginning. For those who are listening, when you get a bilateral mastectomy, and, and there are a number of, with every disease out there, let alone breast cancer, there are a number of different treatments and surgeries and areas that you could go. We chose for me to do a bilateral mastectomy and chemotherapy. And I mean, there were a lot of times I didn't feel beautiful, but you never made me, like you always made me feel good. Yeah, I mean, the focus for me was to make sure that you and I we're on the same level, whether it be mental or physical. I don't mean like physical, like, yeah. you know, but from the moment before going through it and after. So like, you know me, I'm very much stay the course level, yeah. right? So if I w- was able to maintain that for you going through this entire thing, it would be a success. And I always felt like you were always at my side. Literally and figuratively. And when I say literally, you were always at least in the beginning by my side. When all the appointments we went to, the initial ones, you were there taking notes or just being there to be with me. And then with the chemotherapy, you came to the first few appointments and then let it was other old people hat come by in. Then. Yeah. <laughs> it did feel a little like old hat, but we made it like a party each time. And, and now I know it's different with COVID and, and you may not necessarily be able to have that person, but... Uh, maybe it's having somebody drive you, a different person drive you there. Like that was nice. You came the first uh, the first two times and then my Aunt Jane came. I think my sister came. My mother came. Your sister yeah, came. But, like So that's not a reflection on me by any means. It's I knew I didn't ha- like you were strong enough. You got it. Like, you know, like when it was new and in the beginning, we did it together. And again, it was like old hat for you. Like, duh, OK, I just have an appointment. I'll be back when it's over. <laughs> right. And you took uh, your aunt and your cousins or whoever with you. Right. Right. I mean, Boy, that makes me sound bad that I didn't go with you. What? You were you were there for so much. This is seltzer water. Uh, <laughs> for those uh, listening. Uh, the, you were there for so much. And I, I will tell you, one of the standout moments for me years, a few years later, was when you came home from work and you were telling me that somebody at your work came to you and said, I want you to know I I may be in and out. I've got to have some surgeries. I have breast cancer. And you looked at this person and you said, listen, I'm here if you want to talk about it or not. We, you probably brought me up and then you said we had breast cancer too. And I looked at you and I had this moment where it, just the fact that you always saw this as this was our disease. It wasn't just my disease. That is something that I think it seems so small, but it's so big because as your partner, as your wife, I didn't feel like I was just the one afflicted. We were in this together. And well, yeah, that's, that's duh, right? Like we are, <laughs> we were. Um, and it affected our entire household. So we are in it together. Don't get me wrong. You are the one going through this. You are the one where you're getting sick with the chemo or you're the one, here's a bad joke, (laughs) having to go bald, even though I'm the one, (laughs) I was bald way before you. Um, So yeah, I mean, we were doing it together for sure, um, but you were the one leading the way and going through the fight. And you always, um, when you're talking about the bald, so I will tell everybody, we'll, we'll take a step back here. When 
I have always, I mean, I loved, I, I love to tell people that growing up, I had such beautiful friends and I was the one with the personality, but I had really beautiful, beautiful hair and big boobs for that matter too. But <laughs> and so here I get breast cancer and I, you know, lose my chest and I lose my hair. And I was really, the bottom line is I think I, all I wanted to do was live. To me, it brought some clarity. All I wanted to do was live. However, losing my hair was a big deal. And so you and I, well, one of our friends, Denise, came over and she started to cut my hair. When that, when the hair started coming out in clumps, she started to cut it in different haircuts because as someone who'd always had this really thick, long hair, that was what I loved. And I had really never had short hair, probably since my like seventh grade feathered bull haircut. And then the last day after she did all the few haircuts, you came in and you shaved it all. And then you shaved your own. Well, I didn't have much to shave, I but yes, I remember that. Um, I remember carving a C into your head. Yeah, I remember that for too. Karen. Yes, see, yes. Um, right now for I cancer. remember Denise bringing a bottle of J. Lore. That's when I first got introduced to J. Lore wine, uh-huh. which is now my favorite cab. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't remember that. I, yeah, she introduced us. She to did, J. Lore. and I remember you then going to work. And I think it was Kate Cox. Because remember, earlier in the story, Kevin and I had used to work together. I was only there for a year, but he was there for like 11. And so a lot of people, you know, I knew a lot of people there. And and I think Kate came up to you and was like, wow, Kev, you shaved your your hair. And it was either you or Mike Archer who said something like, well, yeah, I don't know if you know this, Kate, but Karen has cancer. Okay, so I don't remember that. Kate would have handled it well because she's a good person. Yeah. I remember somebody else. (laughs) So I walk in with a bald head and he was like, uh, I should try and do his accent. (laughs) Hey, guy. No, I can't. Um, I was like, wow, you look stupid. (gasps) And then I was very happy to say, yeah, well, guess what? I did it in solidarity for my wife. So to make him look stupid. Oh, goodness. That was fun. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't remember that story, but I remember it. But again, it goes back to what you we're saying from the beginning is if you are the caregiver for somebody, and it, again, I can only speak from my experience, but it felt so amazing that I knew on so many different levels that, that you were there for me, that you were you know, there for the appointments and the kind of the mandatory stuff, but you also were there to try and bring a little bit of like fun and funny into the light, my life too, with the shaving of the hair. I mean, we laughed hysterically through that. I never thought we'd be doing that. Uh, to this yeah. day, I kick myself that we did it in that horribly pink bathroom of ours <laughs> because the two pictures we took are just awful. And I was wearing a Globetrotters t-shirt. That's on you. Yeah. I know. Um, I remember that bathroom. It's probably still pink. We don't live there anymore, by the way. It's probably still pink because that was a lot of pink. That'd be a big investment to redo that bathroom. Oh, that was, that was bad. I'm sure the listeners care, but yeah. Uh, So, all right. Let me ask you a few questions though, as we're going down memory lane and, and, you know, we, you, you said something about things that we did right. I will say that, and I think this is a tough one, but it's worth bringing up. I, my mother, so desperately wanted to drop everything and come. 
and she was living in Minnesota where I grew up and we decided that she was not going to come for the initial surgery and she kept trying to come and I love her and uh, as I've said before. Well, that's the beautiful thing about her. She wanted to come. Oh, which yeah, is great. Yeah. But I felt like I didn't necessarily need somebody to do my laundry. I didn't need somebody to make us food because I've always kind of been a picky eater. I needed you to feel strong and you were taking off the time from work anyway, which my sister did come now that I think about it. And that was amazing to have her and, you know, representation for my family there those first few weeks. And my mom did come later, but I felt like, I wanted to take care of you a little bit too because you were in this with me and it was going to be exhausting for you to be my caregiver and to have somebody like my mother staying in our house yeah, for a few totally. weeks. All right, so st- I got to cut you off. Totally. We don't need your mother, who I love, to be there while you're under anesthesia. Um, right. right. Because now I'm entertaining. Yes. Right? So uh, thank you for telling her to stay home. <laughs> uh, I'm at my best, I think, and you know this, and this is probably what makes us so good together, is when I'm alone. Yeah. And, you know, my mom gives me a, a hard time for it. Like, oh, he's he's alone, and he's quiet, and he's stuffing his emotions, and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. But I, can't I just be alone and just, like, in my own thoughts and not having to entertain your mother or my mother, and you're under anesthesia? Like, what, what good is that going to do? Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, and I, I think we... We made a good decision on that. I, I think we were in lockstep and so much because we talked about it. You took a few weeks off. I remember that. You had a very supportive boss and Shane that I think made it a little bit easier. Although I will say, I remember, do you remember the um, that horribly mustard yellow wallpaper that we had in our bedroom? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> it was awful. After chemotherapy... I would come home and I didn't feel great that first day. I fared pretty well on the chemo, but I would lie in bed and it was spinning and there were polka dots like in between the mustard yellow and I felt like they were jumping out at me and I felt really nauseous. All right, so if you want to talk about happiness through hardship, <laughs> we should talk about our house <laughs> because we had the pink bathroom, the mustard yellow bedroom. Um, for the listeners, we essentially knocked the whole thing down. Yeah. Um, not really intentionally. We again, had... happiness through hardship, yes. right? Because the builder essentially, um, screwed up. Uh, we were supposed to be out of our house two weeks. I don't know why I'm taking this left turn, but we're supposed to be it's out fun. of our house two weeks and we're out nine months because he didn't tarp the roof when he took that, took it off and the entire, and it poured and the entire house got ruined. So we were going from a cape to a colonial, and we ended up having to knock the entire house down. Yeah, so that So there's must your happy... You yes. want to talk about that? <laughs> I, I could give you advice for that. Right. That was... Um, I, although I feel like we learned from that when we would tell that story to other people. They would say, oh, we had a bad builder experience. We had a bad builder experience. But that... So that mustard wallpaper did not stay long because it got... Um, it, the ceilings fell. Yeah. I remember... So good for him. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I remember... Being after chemotherapy, you working, you know, they were great. And and this is a, a time when people didn't work from home as much. But I think in light of being and you've always been in digital media your whole whole career, and your boss was very understanding. I think I, I've had a number of people say to me, "Do I tell my boss?" Or you know, caregivers say, 
oh, I, I can just handle this. I think it's fine. My advice is if you're comfortable doing it is, is make sure if you're comfortable, make sure work knows because we both had bosses that were very supportive and worked with us. I wanted to work. I, I didn't work really, really hard through a lot of that initial cancer diagnosis, but I still, it gave me, you know, something to look forward to being able to work through it. And your bosses, you know, my recollection was they were really supportive. So you could be there for me and take care of me while also still getting the job done. Yeah. Well, the good news for me, at least from a professional side is I never worked a nine to five job and the medical community very much is nine to five. Right. So I was able to do the nine to five go to doctor's appointments, help you out, whatever the case may be, and then go to work. And maybe I'll work till 3 a.m., Yeah. right? But so I was able to juggle them both fairly, fairly easily. So let's talk about stress then. I mean, your wife is diagnosed with cancer. Your mom tells you you stuff your feelings. I'm I'm kidding. She's Uh, crazy, by the way. No. She's not listening to this. We can say, (laughs) what's a podcast? (laughs) We love her. She's been so good to us. So, so, so good to us. Um, No, but let's talk stress for a moment because here you are. Your wife is going through cancer. Um, You know that I try and smile like a champ, but yet I, I, I have my bad days. Like, how did you find a little bit of stress relief, or as I often say to my guests, like, how did you find some joy during this journey? Well, I'm very, you know me, I'm not, um, what's the word when you congratulate yourself? I, I don't have much of an ego, right? So, but I do think I'm very, very good at not worrying about things unless I have to, right? So like, for me, it was, okay, she has cancer. Like, I'm not going to cure it right? We have the best doctors. So why would I worry? Yes, I'm worrying, but I'm not like over the top worrying, meaning I'm doing everything I can. We've found the best doctors. Um, She's kicking ass. Uh, I likened it very much to baseball as I do with a lot of things like station to station baseball. Like I can't worry about being on third base unless I get on first base first. So why would I worry about the negative if I don't even know what's going to happen at first base or second base, why am I worrying about the third base problem? So for me, it wasn't much of an issue, despite what my mother might have said <laughs> with me being quiet or again, I'm at my best when I'm alone and with my own thoughts. It, it doesn't mean I, you know, like I'm destructive. No, right. She might lead right. you to believe. Well, and, and I will throw in there that I've been mindful throughout really any hard times that we've been through that I want you, you're still best friends with your best friends from high school and your cousins who are twins and who are, were the best men in our wedding and your best friends. And so I have been, you know, encouraging you or when you ask and say, Hey, Chris and Jeff want to go out or Burke and Finch want to go grab a drink or now, you know, your cousins or your, your father, that, I, you know, I encourage people that even though life, especially in the early diagnosis stages, is all about cancer, to try and, and whether you're the caregiver, whether you're the patient, to try and find little things that could make you happy. Yeah, totally. Ironically, my boss, um, who was no longer my boss, but my former boss, maybe three or four years ago, his wife got diagnosed with stage four cancer 
And that's exactly like he knew it. He, the guy was brilliant. <laughs> like I used to walk out of his office and like pull out my thesaurus. Like, what did he say? What did that word mean? <laughs> um, but he knew it from like day one when she got diagnosed. Like, okay, I need to self care. I need to take care of myself so I could take care of her. You know, this is probably 15 years after your diagnosis. I'm like, it's probably a good idea. Yeah. I should probably do that. <laughs> well, and and I, I mean, like I just, I said to you earlier, I think, you know, if we want to pivot a little bit with the, with the stage four, as you just brought it up, to me, the, I know everything works out at, at least in my opinion, with our experience at the right timing. We were young and we were naive and we were just married and I were third I was 30 when we were when I was first diagnosed. And mind you, we didn't know anybody that was young that had been diagnosed with cancer. And this was also 2004 in a time where not everybody had a smartphone. So you didn't have all the connections for support now that you do in like Facebook groups or ex, you know extensions of that. Uh, when it came to Nine years later, here I am diagnosed again with stage four. That was, I mean, I thought we knew everything there was to know about cancer. Do you remember the day that we heard that it was stage four? Oh, yeah. Duh, right? So, like, when were you diagnosed and when, how much time was there? From your first diagnosis, after we got married, to we heard it was stage four. So, nine years. Nine years. I was in this nine years of like this cloud where it was just like, okay, so she had the flu and she got <laughs> over it, you know, because I, I, I could compart- compartmentalize, is that how you say it? Yeah. The wrapping your bandages around your double mastectomy or drainers, shaving your head, like, yes, we did that and I could put it in its own place and just move past that. So I was in a beautiful place up for nine years. Well, and... But then that came. Right. And it, you, we, are, we have a success story. And I, after my first cancer, went a few years. I was on this drug tamoxifen. We tried to get pregnant. They told us if we, we weren't going to be able to use any type of drugs. And for those that um, don't know a lot about breast cancer or hormonal breast cancer, a lot of times when they shut down your ovaries, you never... You know, it may have cost your repro- your reproduct- reproductive system, and a lot of women can't necessarily get pregnant. And we were so lucky and blessed that after five months of trying, which I felt like was in an eternity, because every time it came back, when I wasn't pregnant, I thought the cancer had ruined our chances. So, but five months really isn't a long time. And we got pregnant and we had a, you know, beautiful baby boy that's now 11 years old. We were very, very lucky. And so, you know, a few years went by post-cancer. Then we have this baby and our mind was just thinking baby and getting through that. So brought us to nine years and I get the second diagnosis. What I remember though, Kev, is that even though it was Friday, September 13th and Dr. Lee had told us that the cancer had returned. And we knew that they did a fine needle biopsy in the sternum, but yet nobody had told me it was stage four. Like now knowing everything I know, I know that if the cancer right, leaves, duh, yeah. Yeah, leaves the point of well, origin, know, yeah. right? If it's in my sternum, well, then it's going to be stage four. I think they were protecting me until that they had to tell me because they knew I would worry. 
but the day that we, you know, are going back and forth about is the day that we found out was my now oncologist because we ended up switching hospitals. I loved the first hospital I was at, um, but it just felt right to be at a teaching hospital. And he said, do you know what's going on? And I said, do you remember me being me? Like, yeah, the cancer's back. There's just probably a little bit in my sternum and... I'm yeah, like I didn't know either. You gave me a lot to go off of there. <laughs> but let's talk to your initial point, which which is the stage four. Um, yeah, totally. And you remember, actually, you probably don't remember because he gave us bad news that day. Yeah. Which you f- just flat out didn't even hear. I didn't even hear it. Um, I'm pretty sure I turned green. I got dizzy. I know you did. I got up. <laughs> and then I started... <laughs> Dizzy more, leaning against the sink. I thought I was going to faint. And to me, that is the, that's the image that I always see because that is the only time in probably our relationship, but definitely in the cancer story, that you, I was sitting there waffling back and forth like, oh my gosh, do I go give Kevin a hug? Oh my gosh, but the doctor's talking. Why is he still talking? Can't he just be quiet? I want to go give Kevin a hug, but wait, am I not supposed to? Right. Because But it was very much up until then, like I said, Young and stupid, like, oh, okay, so, hey, we got a little bit of cancer again. Let's let's get this. And then he, he pretty much gave us an end date, which was, that's what got me like, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> this is real. So it became real for me for the first time. Yes, it was. I don't want to say it wasn't real before, but nine years later. That's when yeah. it, like, really became real. And I think it was probably because... Um, one, what he said, duh. And two, now we have a third person to yeah. care about, Kyle. I know. And, and, and that, I mean, that was just made everything so different. Him being five years old, him. And I think anybody who's a parent is probably having so many of the same thoughts that we had. Now, I, I think we should have the conversation here about our decision. A lot of people get diagnosed when they have a child or children. And we chose, unpopularly, we chose not to tell our son, Kyle, who at the time was, he was four and a half when we got the stage four diagnosis. He was in daycare. Yeah. And do you remember your thoughts with yeah, that? Yeah, totally. In fact, I stand by it 100%. Uh for me, it was important that he maintained his innocence, right? Like, you're only, despite what I said earlier, you're only young and stupid and ignorant, like that, that childhood ignorance that the world is great. Like, you only have it once, and to strip it away from him when he was, like, so bright-eyed and happy, like, it just didn't make sense because what was he going to do to help anyway? Like, like, let him be a child and let him... Have fun and don't let him stress out about his mother. Like it, it just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and then when he got older, we made the decision to tell him, right? Like, yeah. what? How old was he? We then told him at nine. So we yeah. waited four years. I I will say that we got a lot of pressure. I I think from my side of the family and actually probably some friends too that were really they wanted to be support. They they were being supportive and they said kids can pick up on things. You know, I have friends that Not are, ours. Right, right? <laughs> well, and I think that's where you have to know your own child. Yeah. Our, our child, you know, even to this day is, has this beautiful naivete to him that 
he might be smart in some ways, but in other ways, he just doesn't pick up on things. And so I think we knew that then. And as despite the fact that my mother was like, Karen, you got to tell him he's going to pick up on it. He wasn't even in kindergarten. So it wasn't even like he was going to hear it on a playground. Like they were just too yeah. young. And so I will say, though, for those of you who've never heard of this organization called Cancer Care, I love them. They're a national organization. They are also have local chapters, but I called them and they have social workers that will just take your call by phone and whatever you want to talk about. You could talk about financial issues or you could talk about like I did. I'm getting pressure from people to tell my son about me having cancer, but my husband and I kind of don't want to. And it was really great to have this third party there that helped me think through my thoughts in a different way than a friend or a family member might. And we decided not to tell him for a few years. And, and then when we did, it was this delicate balance of telling him enough so he felt informed, so he felt empowered. And I think empowered because we've, you know, my whole happiness through hardship, like here for the podcast, as well as the book, it's all about hard things happen in life, but we can find a little bit of joy during our journey. And that's been how we've been trying to empower him too. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember telling him and again, I stand by it. Shortly after though, he's more concerned about like the Yankee score, right? Yeah. Because he's 11, right? Yeah. Or however old it was, he was then. I think right? he, was nine, so he like, was nine at the, yeah. eight, eight, nine at the time. I mean, it couldn't have gone better for us. Yeah. I don't think. It did. I will say, though, that leading up to it, something that I think we did right for us was that we spent a good six months before we told them, if not more, talking about cancer in general, where we would say, uh, you know, mommy and daddy both had cancer, skin cancer. There are some cancers that are easier to get rid of, and there's some cancers that are a lot harder Hard. And then we talked about my grandpa Lou, who actually he's named after how he had died of cancer. And it was a cancer that was much more his, aggressive. His name is Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> so you should probably, you should probably explain okay. that. Okay. His middle name is Kyle Lewis. Okay. Do you want to tell the listeners, but while you were pregnant, what you thought his name should be? Oh, so, so this is like digress. hormones like at their utmost. <laughs> Go ahead. No, have some more it seltzer. Sounds, it sounds so very silly. No, we de- we decided that if Kyle was going to be a girl, that you would get to name, you would get to pick the middle name. Right, and he was going to be Kayla Lorraine. Yes, because my mother's name is Lorraine. And if he was going to be, or if he was going to be a boy, he was going to be Kyle. And I was very close with my grandparents. I didn't know if I wanted to name him Kyle Lewis or Kyle Arnold. It didn't sound right. And then I felt like I was pick, had to pick one over the other. We weren't sure if we were going to have more than one kid, which we obviously haven't. So I wanted to name him Kyle Larno, Lewis and Arnold. Now, you went through a period where you thought his first name <laughs> should be Larno. <laughs> Larno. <laughs> yeah. right, like you kind of just went like yeah, Kyle Larno, Lewis and Arnold like no you need to call that out Larno I know you and Nick would make fun of me or my brother-in-law thinking I think I yeah I, I wanted to pay tribute did. to them right I wanted uh, to pay tribute to them the things that we that we want I wanted the best of my grandparents and my son okay. right yeah so anyway so we digress so what other 
advice do you think we can give for people in terms of when you're when you're the caregiver of somebody going through such hardship? Like, how, how do you remember how we had fun? I remember some of the things we did to have fun during cancer. I had a lot of seltzer. You had a lot of seltzer. <laughs> no, we um, remember when we were really into sushi at the time. We still yeah. kind of are. Uh, and we made our own sushi. We weren't, because my immunity was low. And, you know, I was going through chemo the first time we, just, we would have date nights at home. And we would pretend we sat on the floor like we were in a Japanese restaurant. We made our own before that sushi and we would have our own date nights at home. And we would crush episodes of Friends. Yeah. Just crush and that seasons. Was, but that was also before. Now that seems like people watch full seasons on Netflix or Hulu or wherever. Yeah. They, so we they had were, the discs. Right. The we, all 10. They took up the size of your desk. Right. Right. We went, Friends was our thing. What else oh, did we Joey, do? Oh, Joey. He was good. Then we tried Joey. Oh, the show Joey. What I was loved it? it? Was it called Joey? It's called Joey, yeah. Yeah. No one else loved it, so that's no. the problem. <laughs> I thought it was okay, but the, his cast wasn't as amazing as the cast, yeah. right? We've always been into TV. I like it to say, because we both worked in TV for so long, and even now, uh, with what I do, I with media, right? I love media, but we've watched a lot of TV. That's kind of got us through. You feel like the characters are your friends. Hmm. Joey would be my friend. I Joey. Think Chandler would be my friend. You always thought Chandler would be your friend. Yeah. We're both stupid. So, oh, stop it. Yeah, you're modest. So, let me think. What else do we want to share in terms of finding our happiness through hardship? I think my top three would be reach out to others whether it's, you know, as the caregiver, make sure that you're spending some time outside of, you know, your wife or your best friend, whoever it might be that you're taking care of. You know, as you said, your boss said, self-care. And whether that's going out with friends or that's spending some time running every day, um, make sure you're taking care of yourself. I mean, I don't think it's all that. I simplify things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why you get upset with me. <laughs> but yeah, it's take care of yourself and try to normalize life as much as you possibly can. Right. So like that's those are things that we did for sure. And when like so, for example, we love going to restaurants. Yeah. Like for me, that's my thing. I don't know if I made it your thing, but maybe it's our thing now regardless. But like you said, when we couldn't go to restaurants because of your immunity, we duplicated that or replicated that at home. Right. And then once we could, then we went back to restaurants. Right. So it's just making life as normal as possible, taking care of yourself. It's simple stuff like that. But I think you just have to do it. There's so many times where we'd say, like, even now, look at it with COVID. I still have a compromised immunity and we are... Yeah, but we're, we're going to do sushi night this week, right? Well, so right. we're going to get to... Yeah. Right, right, So there's right. ways we around to, that. We have to make sure that we do it. think about it. Right. Yeah. Right, I think so. So, well, what's silly is, is, is I want... By sushi night, I mean we're going to make our own sushi. Yeah, right. Minus, yeah. So the listeners probably think we're going to go order sushi. Oh, we right. haven't ordered any takeout since COVID. Right. Um, we're going to make our own, minus the fish, obviously. Right, for right. me. Yeah, and that's fun. And, and now that we have a son, we get him involved too, which yeah. adds a, a really fun element to it. So the way I like to end most of these episodes 
is, in fact, all the episodes is playing the grateful game. Now, Kevin knows because Kyle, our son, we've he and I have been doing this for a few years now. And as I tell most of the other guests, but since you have never been my guest before, is I actually think the reason why we do it is because he just wants to stay up later, right? He's totally looking for things to right, stay because up. you play the grateful game when you're in bed. At night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but I do believe just it's so much, whether it's my brand or it's who I am, which I think they're one and the same. Is Regardless, when you're in the bed, it gives me opportunity to watch wrestling. <laughs> so it works out well. <laughs> uh, but I want you to play with us. Okay. W- so you want Kyle to play with you. Uh, so go get Kyle. So should we go get Kyle? Yeah. All right. So we're going to end ta- having Kyle join us. All right, here comes Kyle. So everybody, let's get started. So Kyle, can you say hi to everybody on the podcast? Hi. Hi. Well, Kyle, this is so exciting. You know. Kyle, we talked about you in the podcast. Awesome? (laughs) Yeah, because you're awesome. Yes, definitely because you're awesome. So will you tell us in the microphone, who is the co-founder of The Grateful Game? Me. Yes, you are the co-founder. And now you're playing with us. So... I will start, but Kyle, it's di- a little different. We play on the podcast. We are going to do 30 seconds of things that we are grateful for today and why. Okay, so I'm going to start. I'm going to say I am incredibly grateful that my husband was on this podcast. I He has been my rock and my superstar through so much of everything we've been through in life that I am incredibly grateful that not only have you been here for me, but that you are talking about it because he doesn't like to, I love to talk and I make up for it for the two of us. So thank you for being on there today. And secondly, I am grateful that today he took my son to his three baseball games, took our son to three baseball games, which gave me the opportunity to get some things done here. So... Let's see. Up oh, 30 seconds and what I had two things two I'm grateful for. Big, big baseball games too, right? How'd you do? Good. Okay. So, so what do I say to you when you come home from school <laughs> and I say, how was school? And you can't say good. <laughs> Don't just say good. Gooder. Gooder. All right. So Kyle, we're going to set 30 seconds for you. I want you to tell everybody, remember, this is a contest. I've got two. What you are grateful for today and why and the more you tell i'm grateful that i got to play three baseball games because i really like playing baseball i am grateful that mom made the chicken and um oh chicken was good yeah it was super good and i really like it and she's good at making it (gasps) and i'm really grateful that i got to play with one of my friends on the ps4 today because i really like playing with them and I'm grateful that I did super well baseball today. You did. So that was four. Kyle, you won. You always win, don't you? Stick your tongue back in your mouth. <laughs> so I want to thank Kyle for coming and joining us. I Thank you. Um, thank you for saying thank you. I want to thank Kevin for being on today and sharing your story with everybody. And I want to thank you, the listeners, for taking the time out of your day to hear our story. 
While I'm often interviewing others about their journey and how they found happiness through hardship, I felt like sharing ours, especially with Kevin's thoughts, being that we're kicking off Breast Health Awareness Month, it just seemed like a great time to remind caregivers that this is their journey too. I hope that Kevin and I provided some insight along the way. We just were sharing what worked for us and hopefully that that is relevant or potentially could bring some inspiration to you or somebody you know. And while I know that cancer is devastating, we found, believe it or not, that we weren't devastated. We were able to put one foot in front of the other and even find a little bit of joy and silliness and fun along our journey. Now, if you want to dig deeper into our story, you definitely can check out the book, Happiness Through Hardship, a cancer guide and journal for those recently diagnosed. It is filled with tips and tools and resources, some of what we talked about today, but there's so much more. You also know, please, you can always DM me at Pretty Wellness on Instagram if you have any specific questions or just need a little virtual hug. I'm sending a big hug out to all of you today. Thank you again to Kevin and Kyle for joining me and all of you for listening. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us. If you love us, they might too. And now, my parting words. We play the grateful game at the end of each episode, and here is why. After my second diagnosis, I started to research who was thriving with cancer and what they were doing to be well. I learned that wellness is about consistent self-care, creating everyday practices that help improve your body and mind toward a state of good health. And for me, focusing on gratitude brings tremendous positive energy into my life. I am incredibly grateful for my husband, Kevin, who, if you couldn't tell from this episode, was my rock through everything. If it weren't for him, who knows where I would be right now, especially because he is the one who brought up the conversation about the lump on my chest. He was the one who told me to, quote unquote, get one of those mammogram things. This isn't just a moment for me to share my gratitude. It's also a PSA to remind you or your loved ones to check your own body. When you notice any body changes, lumps, bumps, freckles, spots, and more, call your doctor and please get it checked out. While honestly, you may not always get the news you want to hear, catching diseases early often can help with a longer prognosis or a better prognosis. And I am living proof of that. So thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.